Well, good morning, church. That was that was terrible. Like, I mean, just outright bad. Good morning, church. All right, now we're, now we're rolling. Like, I I'm already a little bit hoarse because I was yelling at the whole first service. So uh, we gotta get we gotta you know have a little bit of excitement at least to keep me keep me going. So uh, the the astute ones of you have by now noticed two things. One, I'm not Aaron. Uh, Aaron is uh, in Guatemala with that team, and uh, the second thing you may have noticed is this seems really early in the service to have a message, and that's because we have the Lord's Supper this morning, and so uh, we're going to do things a little bit different of an order. Um, If you're visiting with us, my name is uh, Pastor John. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're so glad that you are here, uh, and you are in for a treat from God's Word. And you can go ahead and start flipping to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, because that's where we're going to be studying this morning. Before we get there, I just wanted to say a couple things. One, thank you for your prayers for our students as they uh, went, to, went to student camp this week. It was a wonderful uh, week for them. They were challenged, um, I know, in the, in the preaching of the Word, and in topics that, uh, quite frankly, are very relevant to the issues that they're having to deal with. And some of them were challenged uh, and, and responded this week, and others I know that the Word of God is going to be working on them even as they go back home and as they think about how these things apply in their life. And so we thank you for your prayers for them. And we'd ask you to pray for our team that is in Guatemala. Um, I got a message from our partners in Guatemala on Friday, so the team left uh, early yesterday morning. But I got a message on, uh, from our partners there on Friday just asking for uh, prayer anyway. The village that they're going to be working in is a village of about uh, 5,000 people, and there's, there's one uh, pastor there of a church that they've been working closely with, uh, and, and really that's pretty much the only church in that area that is uh, actively trying to reach people uh, with God's Word and the truth of the gospel. The other, the other belief systems there um, really rely on uh, works, and in fact there's a, a number of uh, witches and shamans in that area, and even the people that would uh, hold toward uh, some type of Christian belief uh, really are reluctant to let go of uh, of those other things, the, those systems in their life that uh, they've clung to for so long. So would you be praying for that team, uh, that God would open hearts, that he would give them boldness, uh, and that people would set aside uh, these other things that they put their hope in, and they would put their hope and trust in Christ alone. And last but not least, by way of announcement, uh, in a couple of weeks, we're headed to Canada, and so uh, I'd ask you to continue to pray for that team because we're going to be working with a new church that we're partnering with there, and we're going to be doing the VBS that we did here, and it's uh, very exciting for our Canadian partners. Uh, I would also say if any of you happen to have a passport, have a week off in like two weeks from now, uh, and be vaccinated, I'd love to take you with us, uh, not because I care whether you're vaccinated or not, but because the country of Canada does. Uh, we actually have lost uh, some people on this trip um, and so there's only six of us going. So if you, if you happen to have that type of flexibility in your life and the Lord is calling you to go, would you come and see me? I'm just, I'm just believing that there's probably one person out there that, uh, that that's probably the case for. I would love to take you with us uh, and have you join us on this trip. As we get to open God's word this morning and as we get to look and continue on in, in 1 Corinthians, we've spent a lot of time over the last several weeks talking about uh, issues dealing with marriage, issues dealing with singleness, ex- issues dealing with uh, sexual immorality, and all types of other things with which the Bible is very explicit. There, there are some things that the Bible uh, tells us exactly what we ought to do and what we ought not to do. 
you know, things, things like we've been discussing, things like uh, drunkenness, you know, things that uh, are really clear in Scripture, sexual immorality, marriage, all of these things, how we ought to conduct our lives that are explicitly covered in Scripture. But this morning we're going to be talking about how do we navigate things that aren't explicitly covered in Scripture. For all of those things where we're told exactly what to do, there are so many more things where we're not giving any, any kind of specific instruction. And we have to, it's incumbent on the believer to look at what the Bible says holistically and form an opinion about what they ought to do or ought not to do in a given situation. And what happens there is that the way that you and the way that I form an opinion about something that's not explicitly covered in Scripture can be different. I don't know if you know that or not, but you with your knowledge of Scripture and, my, and me with mine and me with uh, the conviction that's placed upon me and you with the conviction that's placed on you can come to different conclusions, again, about things that are not explicitly described in Scripture. If it's explicitly described, there's no, there's no, we don't get to come to different conclusions. It's just what the Bible says is what the authority is on that. But if it's not described, we can, we can come to different conclusions. And so the question becomes, well, how do we navigate that? How do we navigate a scenario where we might believe differently about what is allowed and what is not allowed? And that's exactly what Paul is writing to them about in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So, uh, why don't we take a read at that? If you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and uh, open up your Bibles. Oh, when we, were at, when we were at youth camp, every time somebody said to open up your Bibles, the song played and we danced, so I was expecting that to happen. But I guess it doesn't happen in here. Uh, so, we'll, Boris, let's try harder on that next week. Um, so, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now concerning food offered to idols. So I want you to see something right off the bat. Paul makes this statement, now concerning food offered to idols. That's because in the original letter, there, there weren't chapters and verses. It was just a letter. And so this statement tells us that he's transitioning topics from where he was talking about marriage and singleness and other things. And he says, now concerning food offered to idols. I'm going to tell you about this because this is very likely one of the things that he had received letters about, that he had heard messages about things that were going on and conflict that was stirring up about this issue. He says, we know that, and then in, in my Bible, this is in quotation marks, and some of your translations it may or may not be, all of us possess knowledge. And I, I want to talk for a second about those quotation marks because the, the writers have given us these quotation marks so that we would know that what he's referring to is something that's been said to him or been written to him about what is being said in the church. We know that all of us possess this knowledge. And so he's quoting them as he's saying, now as we're talking about idols, I know that you've said all of us possess knowledge. And he goes on to say this knowledge, it puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, 
Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through their former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not condemn us to God, for we are no worse if we do not eat it, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we work through this word. God, we just, um, we thank you for your word, Lord. We recognize that it is truth in our lives, Lord. And uh, even as we look at this topic, Lord, and we may on the surface not see how it, uh, how it connects to our lives the way that we maybe saw so clearly with marriage and singleness, Lord, and your other things that we've read. God, I, I know that uh, your word has meaning for us, Lord, and I know that uh, you have something for us in this text, so would you just open our eyes? Would you help us to hear clearly from your spirit, Lord? Would it be your words and not my words, Lord? And uh, most of all, Lord, as you reveal your message to us, Lord, would you change us from the inside out? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, <clears throat> I mentioned that that Paul is writing in response to this question that has come up about whether or not they should eat food that has been offered to idols. And the first thing I want you to notice is that Paul doesn't, he doesn't just outright answer the question, right? Like, we would think that he would be like, as concerning food offers to, offered to idols, don't eat it, or you're free to eat it. But that's not the answer that he gives. In fact, first, he talks to them about knowledge. And so that's the first thing that I want us to see as we look at this lesson is I want us to see this word concerning knowledge that he has given us generally, like because the principles that he lays out here, they're not specific to this issue of idols. This, is, this deals with how we ought to know things and what that knowledge ought to lead us to do across many topics, not just the one that he's about to deal with about idols. And so he says, we know that all of us possess knowledge, and this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And then he says, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. And so the first thing I want you to see is that knowledge, it can be imaginary. Now, I don't want you to mishear me because there is absolute knowledge and there is absolute truth. And the Bible is clear about this. And in fact, when we look in the, when we look in the Psalms, we see that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or understanding, depending on the translation that you use, that type of knowledge is immovable. It is unshakable. It does not change. It is absolute knowledge. But there is also knowledge that is imaginary. And this shouldn't be difficult for us to understand because we live in a world of imaginary knowledge where I can just claim something and then all of a sudden it becomes true and I don't have to defend it in any way, shape, or form or base it on any type of fact at all. That type of knowledge is imaginary. That's what he says. It says, 
look at what it says. If anyone imagines that he knows something, what does he know? He doesn't know anything the way that he ought to know. And the, the problem with that type of knowledge, because it's not based on anything, because it's not based on the truth of God, is that imaginary knowledge, it leads to pride. Because it's just something that I know and something that you don't know, right? If I have this imaginary knowledge, it causes me to put myself up here and by implication put you down here because you don't know this thing that I know. And it's, and it's not based on truth and it's not based on fact. Instead, it's just something that causes me to, what Paul says, be puffed up by this thing that I know. And so this imaginary knowledge leads to pride. And the, and the Bible speaks to this in a couple of different places, too, I'll point out. One in Proverbs 13, and it says, Arrogance leads to nothing but strife, but wisdom is gained by those who take advice. So what's the result of this prideful knowledge? It leads me to think that I don't have anything left to know. It leads me to think that I just know everything. And yet what Paul says is he doesn't yet know as he ought to know. And perhaps the more appropriate or more uh, impactful passage is 1 Peter 5.5. 5. It says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but give gra gives grace to the humble. So when I take this perspective that I know everything already, and I have this imaginary wisdom, not only have I not clothed, clothed myself in humility, and, and not only am I not willing to take advice and to hear from others, but I also have put myself in direct opposition to God because God op opposes the proud. And yet to those who can look at a situation and say, you know what, I don't yet know as I ought to know. I don't have all the facts to consider this appropriately. God is able through other believers and through his word to speak wisdom into those things. And so we have knowledge that can be imaginary and we know that imaginary knowledge leads to pride. But what about real knowledge? Real knowledge, knowledge of the truth, it comes from God. Look at what Paul says here. He says in verse 3, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. And that might be a confusing way to justify that point, so I want to say it to you differently because it's all about how it's punctuated. What this is really saying is, if anyone loves God, it is because he is known by God. Because and, 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 and I'll show you where this is elsewhere in Scripture. Because God has loved us and known us, that's what gives us the ability to love God. So knowledge of the truth, it doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from something I know that causes me to be puffed up, but it comes from God loving us and giving that, that knowledge to us. I want to show, show you that where that is if you want to flip over to 1 John we look at chapter 4, because John says it so clearly. In verse 9, he says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God has sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And then check this out. In this is love. So this is the definition of love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. 
and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So it's not, that, it's not that we somehow have achieved this high knowledge that allows us to be able to deal rightly with God and with other people, but it's rather that God has loved us. And because he has loved us, because he has seen us in our desperate position and he has poured out his grace and his mercy upon us, because of that, we now know God. We now have the opportunity to have knowledge. We have the opportunity to love God. And that leads us to the last thing that I want you to see there is true knowledge leads us to love God. It leads us to love others. And it leads us to build others up. Well, that's what he said right there in verse 2. He, said, he says, knowledge puffs up. But what, what does love do? What does love do? It's right there. Builds up. It builds up. Right? And so that's a direct contrast. Knowledge causes my pride to be inflated, and yet love causes me to want to build others up. And in fact, that passage that we just read in 1 John, the, the rest of that section says in verse 11 and 12, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So he just finished telling us what the definition of love is. We know love because God has loved us and so if he loved us like that, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And so Paul, before he even gets into this issue of dealing with the question of eating food sacrificed to idols, wants to deal with our hearts. He really gives us the key to understand the rest of this passage because the whole rest of the passage is not about rules for what to do or not to do in the case of food sacrifice to idols. It's about how we deal with other people. It's about whether we have been known by God and that love has transformed us in such a way that our first instinct is not to exalt my knowledge in a prideful way over somebody else, but to love them in a way that builds them up. And so we got to take this with us through the whole rest of the lesson because if you don't get that part, the rest of it doesn't make any sense. The rest of it is just, well, is it, is it or is it not right or wrong? And that is not the key. The key is how do we love and build each other up? And so we said a word generally concerning knowledge. Secondly, let's talk about idols specifically. So knowledge, he's going to drop some knowledge on us about idols specifically. He says in verse 4, so he goes on to say, he says, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, so therefore tells us, because I said all of these things already about knowledge and uh, love building up versus puffing up, therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that, and again in quotation marks, an idol has no real existence. So we know this, like factually, church, we know this to be true. An idol has no real existence. And that's my first point there. Idols have no real power, but I do have that in quotation marks because they do, they do have power. They have as much power as we allow them to have, as much authority as we give them in our lives, and yet they have no real power. You want to know how the Bible describes idols? I'll tell you. It's in Psalm 135 if you want to flip there. It's such a beautiful picture because, well, not a beautiful picture, it's a terrible picture, but it's a very accurate picture because it says in Psalm 135, verse 15, the idols of the nations are silver and gold. They work the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. 
nor is there any breath in their mouth. Those who make them become like them, and so do all who trust in them. What a, what a picture of something that has absolutely no power. As they're made by human hands, this, this image that is of silver or gold or wood, and yet it has eyes and it can't see anything, and it has ears and it can't hear anything, and it has a mouth and it can't speak because it is useless. It can't do anything. And then the Bible tells us, so, so do those who worship them and make them. They become just like that. They can't do anything. Idols have no real power except the power that we give them and the authority that we give them in our life. But what, is, what does Paul go on to say? I hope you're ready. Like Keep, keep, keep your finger in these different places because we're going to keep coming back to these thoughts. He says, an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. So these are the things that we know. Eating food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and there is no God but the one true God. You know what's fascinating in that passage in Psalm 135? The beginning of that passage, the psalmist actually describes what God is like before he describes what an idol is like. Let me read this to you. I would if I was on the right page. One thirty-five, verse 5. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. What a, what a fantastic description. Not only is he above all these other things, but whatever he pleases, he does. Unlike an idol that can do nothing, say nothing, hear nothing, see nothing. Whatever God pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth and the seas and all the deeps, he it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from its storehouses. He it is who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and beast, who is in your midst, O Egypt, who sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all of his servants. Don't you remember this comparison between these gods that the people of Egypt worshipped who had no power? And our God who had all the power and who time after time demonstrated that he can do anything that he pleases. Who struck down many nations and killed many kings. And he gave all their lands as a heritage. A heritage to his people, Israel. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. What a comparison between idols who can do nothing and who only have the power that we allow them, and, a, and our God, the one true God, who is over everything. And you know what's amazing, though? What's amazing is that God that I just read the description of, we can go to anytime, and he can do anything within his will with a breath. And yet sometimes the idols are the things that have the power. The idols that we believe will give us this thing or give us that thing or make our lives better somehow. We go to those things and do their will instead of coming to the God who is over everything. So idols have no real power. There is one true God. And yet, as I've been saying, sometimes we give things lordship over us. That's what he says here. He said, for there are many so-called gods in heaven or earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. There are things, church, 
in our life that have authority in this world because we give it to them. Because we believe that it will make us happy. Because it, we believe its claims. And that has become an idol to us. And so some, some of those things are thrust upon us. Some, some of those things this world tells us these things will be your idols. And some of those things we choose for ourselves and we just look at them and go, okay, if I do A, B, and C, certainly, certainly I'll be happy. Certainly I'll have everything I need. Certainly I'll look like this person over here or feel like that person over there. And rather than going to the God that is above everything, to the one true God who can do it with a breath of his mouth, we bow down before these things who have no, no real power at all. And we give them lordship and we give them authority over us. And so that's what Paul is saying. He's saying they don't really have any existence. And yet people within the church, even that he's writing to are still slaves to these things. And then he goes on to finish this thought by saying, and this is our last point under this section, Jesus, Jesus, he's Lord over all of those things. Look at what, look at what Paul says in verse six. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. So he says, there's one God that created everything, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist. Our purpose to that one God is worship. We exist to worship. And so he's making this point as, as this contrast to these idols that that the, that the church in Corinth is potentially worshiping as they're having this debate over whether to eat food sacrificed to them. And he says, they're, they're, they're nothing at all. We have one God, and he's created everything, and we exist to worship him. And not only that, we have one Lord through Jesus Christ, through whom are all things. This is what John said in, in John chapter 1 when he said in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And he goes on to say that there was nothing that was made that was not made through him. And he makes the point that Christ is, is the reason that all of this creation has come to exist and it was all made through him. And then he says through him we exist. So the contrast is he says regarding God the Father, for him we exist. We exist for worship. But through, through Jesus Christ, we exist. Through Jesus Christ, I have been bought at such a price and brought into a relationship with God whereby I can now exist in his kingdom. And I can be a part of that. And so Paul is reminding us that, that God is God over all and Christ is preeminent in everything. And so the question for how do we deal with these idols comes down to what is, what is my relationship positionally to Christ? What authority have I recognized that he has in my life? How am I living that out? Because all of that makes these questions maybe not easy to answer, but simple to answer. It gives us a way to think about it that we can understand what do I do in a scenario where the Bible maybe doesn't clearly spell it out, like the one that he's dealing with here in terms of eating food sacrificed to idols. And so we talked about knowledge generally. We talked about knowledge about idols specifically. The third thing that I want you to see is what we don't know, it can hurt us. Now, you guys are like, you got the saying wrong. It's what you don't know can't hurt you. 
and I said what we don't know can hurt us. But I want, I want to be clear about why I said that. Because what we don't know, it can hurt other people. And when those other people are part of the body, this fellowship collectively that we have in this place, but also all across the world through Jesus Christ, we are one body. When something we don't know or they don't know causes us to hurt someone in the body, it hurts us. Because it's part of our body. If I asked you to do something that you knew would be injurious to your body, you would likely decline. If, you know, you had good sense, right? You would be like, no, I'm not going to do that. And yet, what Paul is about to point to is that over this issue of food sacrifice to idols, you are injuring your body. You are causing division in your body, and it's not able to do the thing that it's supposed to do as believers are able to come together and build each other up and equip each other. And so you're injuring yourself because of that. So what we don't know can hurt us. The first thing that they don't know is that they don't know that their idols have no real power. That was my point from the last thing, but it's important for us to recognize that it matters when somebody doesn't know that their idols have no real power. Look at what Paul says there in verse 7. He says, However, not all possess this knowledge. What knowledge? The knowledge that he was just talking about, that idols have no real power and that God is Lord of all and Christ is Lord of all. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through their former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol. You know, I, I want to give you I want to give you a little something for free this morning. He says, "Eat food as really offered to an idol." So that means we need to pay attention a little bit, right? Because there's a word in there that if I took it out, the sentence would still have roughly the same meaning, and it would be grammatically correct. So I know that it wasn't added for grammar. So what does he mean when he says, "Eats food as really offered to an idol?" How is that any different than food that's offered to an idol? It's different because it's different in their mind. It's different because as they do this thing, it is real to them. They are eating the food that has been sacrificed to an idol, not just factually, but that's how they interpret that behavior. It's real to them that this food has been sacrificed to an idol. They don't recognize they don't know that their idols have no real power. And so when they take this act of eating this food, it, what does he say? Look at, look at what he says. Eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Uh, Paul is clear here that the weaker position is this position of, I cannot do so-and-so. In this case, you know, eat food that's offered to an idol. This is, this is the weaker theological position. I can't do this. I don't feel free to do this. I don't believe that the freedom I've found in Christ allows me to do this. This is the weaker position. And yet, because it's the position they believe, because they don't know that their idols have no real power, what does it cause them to do? It causes them to be def defiled. This word means like they, they 
they have guilt, they have shame because of this thing that they have done, this thing that other believers in Corinth could do with no problem because they've recognized that these idols are not real and they have no real power. So when they go to eat the meat offered to idols, they're like, ah, it's, just, it's just lunch. And yet, for these other believers, they're like, they're eating food as really offered to an idol and because their conscience is weak, it's become defiled. They've heaped gain, uh, shame and guilt upon themselves from this behavior. And so they don't know they don't know that it doesn't have real power. And what, what do we not know? We don't know what's in their past. Look at what he says there. Because of their former association with idols. Sometimes we don't know what's in somebody's past that would cause them to view an issue a certain way. And so what we don't know can hurt us. It can hurt the body when we don't know that somebody is going through a specific issue with a specific thing because of a past that they have and that they don't know that, that those idols have no real power. They don't know that they're free from that yet. And so it can hurt us. And the third thing that they don't know there, they don't know that God is bigger than their weakness. Look at, look at what Paul says he says in verse 8, Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat it and no better off if we do. So what do they not know? That they don't know that God is bigger than these things that we've made up arbitrary rules about, things that we feel guilty about, things that we feel shame about, that God hasn't specifically said one way or the other what we ought to do. And so they heap shame upon themselves because they don't know that they're not to be commended before God because of what they eat or not eat. And so they don't know that their idols have no real power. They don't know that God is bigger than their weaknesses and their struggles in this area. And we don't know what's in their past, but I, I want to tell you the other thing that we don't know. And I can just about promise that you're not going to like this. But we don't know that our rights don't have to be exercised. That's, that's a hard thing for us. Just because you have a liberty, just because you have a right, doesn't mean that you have to exercise it. Just because God has given us a freedom to do or to not do certain things does not mean that we have to do it especially at the risk of other brothers and sisters. So we see the things that we, what we don't know, it, they, they can hurt us. They don't know that their idols have no real power. They don't know that God is bigger than these choices that they make or what they do or what they don't eat. And we don't know what's in their past. We don't know those things that are causing a struggle for people. In this case, in Corinth, it was with the sacrifices that are made in the temple, and we don't know that our rights don't have to be exercised. Look at what Paul says in verse 9. If you don't believe me, if you're like, that's not right. If I have a right, i got to do it. Look what he says. Verse 9. But take care. What a, what a beautiful statement. Maybe it's just me, because I'm not always the most careful person 
I'm not always the most careful person with my actions or with my words. And so when I see something that says, take care, that reminds me like, oh wait, I have an obligation. I have a responsibility. Take care. This right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So just because you have a right, it does not give you the right to tread on others, to exercise it in such a way that it causes a brother or a sister to stumble. But I want you to look at what he says here. This is not a point on the screen. This is sort of my in-between points point because I do have I do have a last set of points that I want us to talk about, but I want us to look for just a second in verse 10 and on because I want us to just see together what it is that Paul says happens when we do this. Because up until this point, we've been talking about, we've been talking about food sacrifice to idols, and most of you guys have been like, well, I could probably kind of half listen, half not listen, because I don't, there's no temple around here where I go, and I buy sacrificial meat. Uh, and yet, what he's about to say is so applicable to everything that we do, and especially what we do in this day and time. For anyone, verse 10, sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple. So if anybody sees you, that person that knows that you have freedom in Christ to do this thing, if anyone sees you eating in an idol's temple, will he not be what? Encouraged. Will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? So if he sees you doing that thing that you know you have liberty to do, is it not possible that he would say, oh, I can, I can eat these food that's offered to idols? And what happens as a result of this? And so, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. Again, the choice of words. This, this picture of a brother or sister that we have damaged because they've seen this thing that we know we have liberty to do, that we're clear and our conscience is clear before the Lord that we're allowed to do it. And yet, this thing that is a right and this thing that is all right is, is actually wrong if your brother or sister sees it and it causes them to stumble and because of their conscience they have what he said before, been defiled, but now he says, because of it, they're destroyed. That brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. What, what, a, what a condemnation on this attitude that I can do whatever I want as long as the Bible doesn't prohibit it I'm free to do anything I like. That, that is true. There, there, there are things that you are allowed to do. There are so many more things, as we said at the top of the hour, that, that aren't specifically dealt with in the Bible and that you have freedom in Christ to understand whether it is profitable for you or not and to make a decision based on truth about whether you should do them or not, but not... not by causing your brother and sister to stumble, not by 
heaping guilt and shame upon them when they try to do the things that you have recognized that you're allowed to do. Why does that matter? We've been talking about idols. Why does that matter? Church, we live in a day and an age, and I'm going to try to be real careful here because I'm not on social media. Those of you guys that know me know that I don't have any of those things. I don't have a Facebook or a Insta Twitter or a, a TikTok or I don't know what else they have nowadays. I don't have any of that. So I don't want to suppose that I understand the struggle that that is. But how many times are we on those things doing things that we know we're allowed to do, knowing th doing things that we know we have freedom in Christ to do, and never thinking for a moment about whether that causes a brother or sister to stumble. As we, and, and for those of you that aren't on social media, we do this in person too, so you can apply it in either way. As we go places to eat, as we wear a certain style of clothes, as we watch certain things on TV, as we listen to certain types of music? Are we giving, maybe without taking care, without appropriate consideration, are we, are we giving permission to other believers to do a thing that could possibly be detrimental to them? Are we saying, this is all right, you can do this because I know that it's all right for me, and yet when they do it, what, is it, what, is, what does Paul say? It causes them to be defiled. It ultimately causes them to be destroyed. Am I doing things as a father or as a husband that causes that for my family, for my children? Do they look at my behavior and say, well, my dad watches this or my dad listens to this. It's probably okay that I do that. That's probably the right thing. It's probably enjoyable, and yet I can recognize that situation and I can go, I have freedom to do this in Christ, and my family becomes enslaved to those things because of what we watch or what we put in our minds or even what we put in our mouth. Is it, is it biblically okay for me to, to have a drink? Yes, it is. We, we've already dealt with the biblical instruction is against drunkenness. Like there, there's absolutely an instruction in the Bible against being drunk, and I believe for that matter high in such a way that we're uh, inebriated, incapacitated, unable to think in a way that is sober. But is there freedom if you believe that? and you can deal with it rightly, to drink, yes. Should you do it in a way that encourages other people to do it and perhaps cause them to stumble? Should you do it on Facebook? Should you do it on Instagram? Should you do it publicly in a restaurant? I can't answer these questions for you, but what I'm saying is that this is applicable for us right now and that the imperative here is that we ought to, we ought to think about our brothers and sisters as we make choices. Because even if it doesn't have to do with food, that's offered to idols. There are things, again, in what we wear, in what we do, in the status that I give my job, in how much money I make, in where I go on vacation, in what I wear, in the amount of friends that I have or don't have, or how much time I spend going out to eat versus staying home. There are things in all of those things that could potentially be a stumbling block for somebody else that they could look at those things and they become an idol, that they could look at those things and say, well, if I only did it like John did it, if I only did it like Rusty did it, if I only did it like Steve did it, man, I probably would be happy like that. Like, my life would look like theirs. 
I would have all of these good things. Certainly, I know that these believers are great believers and they love the Lord. So if it's okay for them to do that, it must be okay for me. And as a result of that, their conscience, because it's weak, because we have an obligation to think about our weaker brother and sister has become defiled and they become destroyed because of it. And, and so the question becomes, what do we do? What, what do we do with this? Can I do anything? Do I have to sit at home all the time and keep the doors shut so as to avoid potentially causing another brother or sister to stumble? Would I cause them to stumble by just sitting at home all the time with the door shut? <laughs> right? What do, what do we do? Well, first and foremost, we love others more than ourselves. That's why I said the beginning of this passage is the key to understanding the whole thing, because love is what builds up. If you, if you don't believe me, we'll talk about this in a few weeks, because this is difficult for us. We are people of knowledge. We like to know things. We believe that it's important to know things in the Bible, and I agree with that. I don't want you to hear me saying it's not important to know things and be certain about what you know. What I am saying is that love is greater than prideful knowledge. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, so we'll get to it in a few weeks, says in, chapter, in verse 2, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, did you hear that just for a second? Go back. Understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to move mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. And so we have to prioritize our love for one another. I said already that this is about the body. This is about how we operate in a healthy way so that we can encourage and build each other up. And so it has to start with us loving others more than ourselves. And then that leads us to put others' needs above our own. If you want, I'd encourage you to. You can flip with me to Philippians chapter 2. And starting in verse 1, it says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And check this out. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves and let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So just in case you didn't believe me, it's right there in black and white. We have to love others more than ourselves. We have to put their needs above our own. And we have to do what, what Paul says. We have to be aware. We have to take care. In verse 9, this, this right of ours does not somehow become a stumbling block. We have to recognize, and this is hard. Of all the things that are up there, that's the least straightforward. Like, if I tell you to love others more than yourself, at least you have a direction that you can head, and through the power of Christ, you can do that. 
And if I tell you to put others' needs above your, your own, there are tactical things. There, there are tangible things that I can do to demonstrate that I'm putting others' needs above my own. But be aware of things that are stumbling blocks. That's hard. I don't know everything that's in everybody's heart. I don't know everything that's in their past. I don't know what they do or what they don't know. And so it can be challenging. But he says, I mean, it's an instruction. It says, take care that, you, that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. And so we have to be, we have to be on alert. We have to be on alert that, that some things that I might do and that I might have the freedom in Christ to do might be stumbling blocks for other people. And I have to take care how I do those things. And the last thing that I want you to see here is that we have to be willing to lay anything down for the cause of Christ. I mean, look at, look at how Paul finishes. He says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Now, I, I want to be extraordinarily clear. I don't believe that this is an instruction by Paul to be a vegetarian. Praise the Lord. I like meat. And if you, do, if you only like vegetables, that's fine. But I, I really enjoy meat. So this is not an instruction to just not eat meat ever. But what is he saying? He's saying if there's even a possibility that that meat that I eat might cause a brother to stumble, then I'm willing to never eat meat. That's a choice I'm willing to make, to never eat it so that I might not cause a brother to stumble. And so the question becomes, is that, is that liberty that you have that would cause a brother or a sister to stumble, something that you're willing to say, I'm willing to never do that. I'm willing to never enjoy that thing that I know that I have the freedom, that I know that I have the right to do ever again if it means not making my brother or sister stumble. Am I, am I willing to turn the TV off completely so that I don't make my kids stumble? Am I willing to not ever post anything on social media so that I don't make my brothers or sisters stumble? I'm not saying that that's the answer. I'm just saying that's the question that you have to ask. Am I willing to, to never have a drink or a smoke? Because, by the way, the Bible doesn't say anything about that either. Because I'm worried about my brother or sister stumbling. Because here's the deal. And this, is, this, this becomes the test, right? Because you would say that this, these things are my liberties. You would say that these things are the rights that I have, that I know that I have in Christ. But if you have a liberty and you're not willing to walk away from that liberty, is that really a, is that really a liberty? Is that really something you're free from if you're not willing to lay it down for your brother and sister, if you're not for a moment or for a day or for a month or for a year or for a lifetime willing to set that thing aside, short as this life may be, to keep a brother or sister from stumbling? That's the question at the end of the day. I told you this is way more applicable than food offered to idols. And I don't know what those scenarios are in each of your lives, but I do know the questions that we have to ask ourselves. And I do know that God in his wisdom has given us a way to think about this that applies way beyond what the text was talking about. 
And I know that we got to take inventory. I, I know that we are all doing things that are causing our brothers and sisters to stumble, things that are not profitable for the health of the overall body. And it may very well be something that you are absolutely allowed to do. But is it the right thing to do? Is it the best thing to do? Is it what is best for the health of this body, of your brothers and sisters, for building up the church, for equipping them for the mission that God has given us, and I, I think that's the question that we have to answer this morning. And I'm glad that this morning we get to end our time together with the, the Lord's Supper because it gives us a moment as a fellowship to reflect. You see, Jesus was together with his disciples. They were they were fellowshipping together. They were at dinner when he took that bread and he broke it. And he told them that it was his body that would be broken for them. And when he, when he took that cup, and he told them that it was his blood poured out for the remission of sins, poured out to usher in a new covenant, one that is not dependent on daily animal sacrifices, but where a sacrifice was made once and for all to make us right before God. And they were able to sit and fellowship with one another and take that meal. And he told them, as often as they do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so we get this chance. We get this chance here at Hepzibah to sit and to fellowship with one another as we take this Lord's Supper, as we remember the sacrifice that Christ made, but as we remember that he is coming again soon. And I want to encourage you. In a minute, we'll, we'll have a time where you can come up individually or as a family. Any of you all that are believers in Jesus Christ, this isn't for folks that are just here hanging out, I'm sorry, but this is, this is specifically for the body of Christ to remember his sacrifice that we have believed upon and to proclaim it. If you're not a believer in Christ, the best thing that you can do is just spend some time searching your heart the best thing that could happen today would be that somebody would trust Christ and come into his kingdom and experience this forgiveness and this great liberty that we have. But for those of you that are in Christ, in a minute, we'll, we have it set out here. In the bottom, there's a cup with a wafer, the bread, and in the top, there's a cup with the juice. And on that table there, there's also a boat-shaped basket that is for your offering. We haven't passed the plate this morning, so I'd ask when you come up to take the Lord's Supper that you would just put your offering in the boat, and then there's another basket that is for your trash. Please don't put your trash in the offering basket. That just makes things messy later on. Uh, it gets, gets juice all over the, the gifts, but take time, church. Take an inventory before you get up, and I want to read you something, and it's probably something you've never heard. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's never something you've most of you have never heard read at the Lord's Supper. But as we think about this fellowship that we have, as we think about this obligation that we have to one another, as we think about this opportunity to be right before the Lord and to be in good relationship with our God and with one another, I wanted to read to you guys out of 1 John. In chapter 1 it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it. 
and testify to it and proclaim to you eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. That's the first part of what I said. This is about us having an opportunity to fellowship but also to proclaim what we have come to know in Jesus Christ, which is that he is sufficient. His sacrifice is sufficient for anything and everything. And belief on that is a way to freedom in God. And look at what, look at what he says in, in verse 5, if you have it open with me. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, remember I said this is about fellowship, while we walk in darkness... We lie, and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the opportunity that we have this morning as we come in fellowship and in remembrance of the sacrifice that Christ made, we have an opportunity before we take it to confess. Because if we confess, he's faithful and he's just to cleanse us, to make us right, to make us new. And some of that may be things that you need to confess before the Lord and some of that may be things that you need to confess to other believers. But this is the time for that. The, the band is going to come and they're going to play. There's going to be an opportunity for you to pray. And only when you're ready, only when you're ready will you come and will you take these elements. I'm going to be right here if you need somebody to talk to. If you want to accept Christ, if you want to join in fellowship with this church, I'll be, I'll be right here as we sing. But take a moment, church. And go before the Lord. And let, let, me, let me start and let me pray for you. And then spend as long as you need. God, we just, we come before you. Thankful that you are so good. Thankful that as you reveal things to us, Lord, it's not to condemn us, Lord, it's to restore us. God, would you give us hearts, Lord, that desire restoration. Lord, that desire to, be, to confess, Lord, and to believe and to be cleansed, Lord, and to be in fellowship with you and to be in fellowship with one another. Will you open our eyes, Lord, to see the areas, Lord, where we are not walking in fellowship with you, Lord, where we maybe have caused another brother or sister to stumble, Lord, and would you compel us to make it right? Lord, if there's somebody in this place that doesn't know you, that doesn't know the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, even as we've dealt with this difficult topic, Lord, where we know that all of us have transgressed. God, there is so much hope because we know all we have to do is run to you and you've already provided a way. God, if there's somebody here that doesn't know that forgiveness, that doesn't know that freedom, that doesn't know that hope, Lord, would you help them to trust you right now in this moment? Lord, would you help them to be bold enough to share that with everybody that's in this room? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you.